Welcome to Mind Your Mind, a podcast presented by Dakota Family Services, an outpatient behavioral health clinic located in Minot, Bismarck, and Fargo, North Dakota. In this podcast, I will talk with our experts about understanding and nurturing our mental health and wellness. I'm your host, Tim Munson. Join me each episode as we explore the intricacies of our minds, decrease the stigma of mental illness, learn practical tips for managing our mental health and well-being, and recognize when it's time to ask for help. Join me now to Mind Your Mind. Welcome to this episode of Mind Your Mind. I'll be talking with Dr. Wayne Martinson. Dr. Martinson is the medical director and psychiatrist in Fargo and Minot. Dr. Martinson diagnoses psychiatric and behavioral health conditions, makes treatment recommendations, and provides medication management for clients of all ages. Dr. Martinson, this is just a great opportunity to spend some time with you and to learn, to learn. Today's topic is wellness. But before we get into today's topic, a question I ask all of our guests, why do you do what you do? Actually, I never, ended, I never intended to, to, to spend my career in mental health. I was in college and got a job working at a group home in Minnesota, which paid the bills for me. Loved working at the group home, loved the, the adolescents, got a degree in social work, got fascinated by psychotherapy, got a master's in social work, and then became fascinated with psychiatry and went back to medical school. And so it was sort of the allure of the experience of working with people and both sort of an enjoyment of people just because I like spending time with, with other human beings. The other, the other piece is that I, I love the complexity of personality and mental health and trying to come up with solutions that match the person and the problem uh, that's in front of me. Oh, great answer. So now we'll jump right into wellness. Today's topic is wellness. With wellness, I think of so many ways and it's described today. How would you define wellness? When I talk about wellness, one of the things that I, I try to do is to hearken back to the World Health Organization statement from 1948, where they defined wellness as more than just the absence of disease, but a state of well-being, uh, a set of connections, the opportunity for learning, uh, having meaningful uh, work. And so that was the original definition. And the concept is relevant in, in, current, in current medicine and psychiatry because we tend to think of either disease or absence of disease. And wellness really takes the concept beyond just the absence of disease and looks at how connected are you? How invigorating is your life? Do you feel happy day to day? And by happiness, we're not just looking at whether or not there's a giddy um, joyfulness, um, but really whether life has meaning, connection, purpose, and that you feel a sense of well-being. And a part of it has, it has been looked at, at least in our culture, as if you don't have an illness, you have these other things. And it gets clear that in the research, that's not really true. And it also gets clear that there's a lot that can be done to create wellness if a person does not have it. So as we look at uh, the changing of wellness, has there been a change in wellness in our country over the last 20 years? 
There really has. In the last 20 years in America, we've experienced what are called the deaths of despair. And when you look at that, it's, uh, it includes a 35% increase in deaths by suicide from 2000 to 2019. It includes uh, dramatic increases in drug addiction. It includes a lot of people who have simply dropped out of the workforce because of disillusionment. And so there is, there's so much positive from our modern culture, but there are also pockets of people that are being left out of that experience and for whom modern life is lonely and despairing and empty and it lacks the purpose and connection that would keep them going in difficult times. So how much of our well-being is within our control? Well, earlier estimates suggested that that 50% of our happiness was genetically determined. Uh, repeated research has indicated that only 10% of our happiness is controlled by our situation, okay, what's happening in our life at this time, and 40% is controlled by how we live our lives. One of the things that I've done recently is look at this. Uh, I've been taking this course from University of California, Berkeley, who has a free course online. It's a semester course looking at happiness and how to, how to create an increased level of happiness in your life. And they're saying that really they see um, those old numbers as, as wrong. They feel like there's greater than 50% of how we live that that creates our day-to-day well-being. Our guest on Mind Your Mind is Dr. Wayne Martinson. Today we are talking about wellness. And, and the next question that I have for you, I think about, you know, how can someone increase their well-being? And just there are so many opportunities today to do that in so many ways and opportunities for us all to, you know, really increase our well-being. Yeah, and there's there's some really there's there's a lot of research since about 1995. There was a Dr. Martin Seligman who uh, he wasn't the first person to come up with this concept, but he did a lot of research and he headed up the American Psychological Association and and is regarded by a lot of people as the father uh, of um, positive psychology. So there's there's a lot of data there's a lot of research that looks at what goes into well-being and so i can just hit on some of those tim the the ones that are the most researched and they include exercise and usually when we think of exercise we're thinking about am i toned do i have the body of a 20 30 year old do i do i look good in a bathing suit is sort of the the issue culturally but that's not relevant for well-being um what's relevant for well-being for um for feeling rested, for feeling energized, for treating depression and anxiety is exercise of about 30 minutes a day, four to five days per week. Now that exercise doesn't have to be all at one sitting. The research is pretty clear that if you get five minutes of exercise six times in a day, that counts. If you get a half hour of exercise, that counts. And the type of exercise that is clearly the best in the research is whatever exercise that you're willing to keep doing. 
So if you dance intensely enough so that it causes you to have a slightly difficult time uh, talking, carrying on a conversation, that counts. If you jog, that counts. If you take a brisk walk or swim or any activity, sports activities. So it doesn't have to be one particular activity. Weightlifting used to be seen as less than in terms of mental well-being, but it is not. The recent research indicates that, again, if you're lifting weights to the point that it's slightly difficult to talk, uh, to carry on a conversation for 30 minutes in a day, that's exercise. That counts. And the exercise can be varied. So one day you could go dancing. The next day you could go for a brisk walk with your dog. Another day you could lift weights. Another day you could play basketball with a friend. And so exercise period matters in terms of mood, in terms of anxiety, in terms of attention and concentration and sleep. The second thing that shows up very consistently is mindfulness. And there are a lot of, you know, 30, 40 years ago when I first had an interest in meditation, it was really complicated because if you lived in a rural area, you had to, you had to read a book and then hope that what you're doing matched up with what you're reading. And today it's very different. There are a lot of, there are some online approaches to medication that are free. There are other low-cost uh, guided meditations like with Headspace or Calm. There are others um, that really help sort of focus the attention on the self or on the breath or on a loving emotion. And again, the dosage of that is about 20 minutes a day, four to five days per week. There are a lot of, there's a movement beyond that to just find ways to center yourself in the day, to sort of be mindful of where you're at, what you're feeling, what your relationships are, what your purpose is. That's harder to define and it's harder to set parameters around. So when people talk to me about mindfulness, uh, unless they're experienced in, in that approach, I really like to talk to them about using one of those online apps that really walks them through meditation. The next thing that's important is sleep. We tend to take sleep for granted. And one of the things that's happened in our culture is that there's, people are getting less and less sleep as technology advances. And a part of that is work, but a big part of it is our screen time. You know, not just television, but interactive games, binge watching series is a big deal. And what happens is not only does the screen entertain us in the moment, making it hard for people to want to go to bed, but it also, the, the bluish light that comes off of screens makes it really hard for the brain to be as sleepy and to fall asleep. And to, uh, so the recommendations are that screens go off or at the very least are switched to a blue filter an hour and a half before bedtime and that overall use of screens is decreased, that we monitor caffeine use before bedtime, we don't exercise real close to bedtime, and that we try to engage um, in quieter activities, say reading a book, not the news, which a lot of people find upsetting, but uh, a book or something informational.
that sleep should be protected, that we really should leave eight hours, seven or eight hours of time every night for sleep. The, the next thing is social connectedness. People who are lonely not only have higher rates of depression and anxiety, they die at a younger age. There are cardiac implications of loneliness. There are also significant increases in dementia rates for people who are lonely. And again, what seems to happen is people describe themselves as more lonely now than they did 20 years ago. And it's hard to know how much of it is related to lifestyle and to culture, but people get entertained by their video games, by the series they're binge watching, and there's less purposeful connection. So when you look at programs like um, Rakesh and Sandra Jane's Hero Wellness Program, they're really looking at how do you protect connectedness? How do you stay in touch with people? And one of their proscriptions is that you call two people either have conversations face-to-face or call two people who are just friends every day. And, you know, we've gotten to the point where it seems almost rude in this day and age to call somebody up on the telephone de novo, right? It's, it's intrusive, but it's pretty easy to just text somebody and say, you know, I've been thinking about you. It's been a long time since we talked and I miss you. Would it be okay if we called, if I called? And I've never had anybody when I've done that say, no, we can't, we can't do that. An even better approach in my mind that has really deepened the experience for me in the middle of this COVID pandemic has been the use of Zoom or other uh, telechat formats. There are probably easily a dozen of them that are free. The same thing occurs, you know, you can take your laptop outside, you know, follow up or connect with somebody, a friend you haven't seen, but it allows us to connect over distances. And another part of what's happened to our culture is that we've become much more mobile. People in America move to follow a job. Now, maybe that's the right thing to do for that family, but it really interrupts uh, relationships, friendships, family connection, and all of those things matter. Another part of the relationship piece that that clearly matters in the research is holding a grudge or having bitterness. Bad things happen to people in life, sometimes really horrible things. And if we hang on to that bitterness or that resentment, that has cardiac implications again. It has um, uh, implications for depression and anxiety. And again, it has implications for increased rates of dementia as we get older. And again and again in the literature, what you find is whatever promotes cardiac health promotes brain health. Whatever promotes brain health seems to promote cardiac health. The other things that we know improve well-being are things like gratefulness. There's a very simple, there's a very simple intervention of being grateful for three things, talking with a partner or or writing down three things that you're grateful for at the end of each day that occurred in that day. It's an extremely simple intervention, and yet the level of happiness increases significantly when people do that. And there's two parts to that. One is that it makes us aware of people that we care about that made our life better. 
right, which increases our well-being. But over time, it increases, it increases our focus. We're looking for in the world around us, in our day-to-day experience, we're looking for the people, we're more aware of the people who have made our lives better. And that can be, that can be a, a spouse, or it can be a family member, it can be a co-worker, it can be somebody that we've served. Another piece that, that is vital for well-being is a sense of meaning or a sense of purpose. And we find that in different places, Tim. So some people will find it in their spirituality, in their relationship with God. Some people will find it within their work or within a relationship or in an artistic outlet. There are some people who are, are in the sandwich generation and they're terribly stressed by by the obligations of both their children and their elderly parents. There are other people for whom that connection, even when it's stressful, has a lot of meaning, a lot of purpose. And, and so there are any number of things that we can do to promote wellness. And the, you know, when you look at um, the people putting together the happiness course at UC Berkeley, what they talk about is sort of a, um, an appetite or a diet in the same way that we pick foods, even when we try to eat nutritiously, which also has an impact on well-being. But even when we try to eat nutritiously, there are certain foods that we prefer, uh, some things that taste good or that feel right to us. So there are some people who can't stand meditation. So don't torture yourself. Your well-being is not going to be found there, right? There are some people who really are more comfortable being alone, not connecting with people. There are people who physically can't exercise. So you look at sort of the smorgasbord of of well-being options, and you select those that are the best fit for who you are in the life that you lead. You know, you said something about exercise, and I think I'm going to credit myself with the walk to the car each day, and I'm going to count the minutes, and I'm going to add that up. But that that should count, right? Well, only if it's a brisk walk, Tim. You have to walk fast enough so that you couldn't easily carry on a conversation. Well, it is winter where we live, about 10 months of the year, so it is a brisk walk usually. You are listening to Mind Your Mind. Our guest is Dr. Wayne Martinson. And before we wrap up our conversation about wellness, there's always that last question I've going to ask our guest, and that is, what do you do personally to mind your mind? Actually, I had some tragic occurrences um, a number of years ago with with the unexpected death of, of one of my daughters, and it left me really needing to find a way to get past the the hurt, the depression, the bitterness that came with that. And so to begin with, it's like, as as anybody who's struggling should, I went and saw my doctor to get medication. I went and saw a psychologist to get therapy. I also, over time, the, the hurt of that lingers for people who have lost a child. And it's like you have to find a way to put a life back together again. And so with time, I have really doubled down on I. I do brisk walks. Um, I make my dog come with me. I, I really try to protect my sleep. I meditate every day. I eat a largely, uh, not totally, it's not a religious thing, but I, I eat a largely fresh fruits and vegetable diet because it's better for me. I make an effort to connect multiple times per week by phone or, or by 
um, Zoom with with friends. So it's it's something that I really work at on a day-to-day -day basis. And for me, it has made a huge difference to the point that I've incorporated more and more of it in my practice as time has gone on over the last few years. Yeah, it seems that the biggest theme is what I'm hearing in wellness or what you're sharing with us about wellness is, you know, creating habits that are going to help your wellness. Mm -hmm. There's there's so much information today. There's so many opportunities. I really appreciate your time with us on this episode of Mind Your Mind. Love podcasts because we can always push pause, digest what we just heard, rewind, listen again. Podcasts are shareable. So again, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for joining us for Mind Your Mind, a podcast presented by Dakota Family Services. You can't have health without behavioral health. Remember to mind your mind. For more information, links to additional resources, contact information, and much more, go to dakotafamilyservices.org.